How many billion dollar disasters has the U.S. had so far? And what's Greta Thunberg's take on Germany's plan to phase out nuclear but increase coal? Welcome to the Climate Recap from the Becket Sphere Climate Corner, your go-to place for international and U.S.-based climate news. I'm Becky Hogue, a climate communicator. Today is Sunday, October 16th. Let's jump right into today's news. Let's start with an extreme weather event. Due to drought, the Mississippi River has hit a low enough water level in many areas to disrupt and ground barges. Recently, more than 2,000 vessels got in a traffic jam due to this issue, and the only way to alleviate this problem right now is to expensively dredge the river, reduce how much cargo is loaded on the ships, or rely on other forms of transport. The Mississippi River feeds 92% of agricultural exports, which represents 78% of the global exports of feed grains and soybeans. A lot of the boats impacted by the traffic jams are carrying those goods, so this could impact both domestic and international food systems. Barges are one of the more sustainable transport options because one barge can hold as much cargo as 16 rail cars or 70 trucks and travel the load much farther, so losing this option is bad for the economy and the environment. The U.S. Army Corps of Engineers is currently in process of dredging the Mississippi from New Orleans to the Gulf of Mexico. Going further into the concept of economic impact, let's head into the climate studies. The U.S. has so far seen $15 billion disasters this year, and we still have two and a half months to go. This makes it the eighth consecutive year we've experienced at least $10 billion events. The disasters this year were the ongoing drought and heat wave on the West Coast, fires on the West, flooding in Kentucky and Missouri, and Hurricanes Fiona and Ian down South, as well as six severe weather events in the Midwest. West down to northern Texas, two tornadoes in the south, and two hailstorms in the northern Midwest. Overall, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA, expects to see loss and damage costs near $100 billion this year. And zooming out, the World Meteorological Organization, or WMO, released a report stating that extreme weather events induced by the climate crisis pose as great of a risk to energy systems as Russia's invasion in Ukraine if we don't act now to modernize, stabilize, and diversify the grids as soon as possible. The report looks at ways in which climate change can destabilize energy sectors, but also how these grids can become more resilient. In it, the report said there's currently a 70% gap in countries' current decarbonization promises and the emissions reductions required by 2030 to meet the Paris Accord goal of keeping warming well below 2 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels. As a reminder, we're currently at 1.1 degrees. The WMO says three-quarters of global greenhouse gas emissions come from the energy sector. Quote, Time is not on our side, and our climate is changing before our eyes. We need a complete transformation of the global energy system. Transforming the energy system could bolster national security. Obviously, an area is not very secure when its power gets knocked out by a hurricane or a heat wave. In the U.S., a recent Climate Central analysis found that the average yearly power outages caused by extreme weather events rose by 78% from the 2001 to 2011 average and the 2011 to 2021 average. This can also include drought, which shuts down thermal, nuclear, and hydro energy sources that require water to cool down the system. In 2020, 87% of the world's energy relied on thermal, nuclear, and hydro that directly depend on water availability. Here are some more facts the WMO report gave. 
Quote, approximately 26% of existing hydropower dams and 23% of projected dams are within river basins that currently have a medium to very high risk of water scarcity. We probably should cancel those projects. Despite increasing energy resiliency clearly being a huge issue, just 40% of countries prioritize adaptation in the energy sector. One of the main things the WMO report points out is how climate services aren't being used enough to adapt the energy sector. Climate services are the production and delivery of relevant, credible, and useful climate information to equip decision makers in climate-sensitive sectors with better information to help society adapt to climate variability and change. Right now, the energy sector mainly works with weather services, not climate services, and it needs to use both. All WMO member countries have access to these services, but there seems to be disparity in what is being used. Additionally, developing countries have much less access to resources needed to modernize their grid best. Therefore, the organization promoted climate financing, particularly in places like Africa, which have 60% of the best solar resources globally, but only 1% of its PV solar capacity is installed. The report provided examples of how climate services are being used to help energy sectors adapt around the world. If you want to learn more, there will be a link to the report in the source list below, as I link everything in the source list below. To drive home further the risks we face in the future, let's look at heat waves. A sobering report by the UN Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs and the International Federation of Red Cross and Red Crescent Societies calculated that 38 extreme heat events from around the world killed at least 70,000 people between 2010 and 2019 alone. The combination between global warming and aging population and urbanization will make heat waves even more deadly in the future, particularly for older adults and marginalized communities. For example, the UK heat wave this summer has been linked to over 2,800 elderly deaths in England alone, elderly being 65 years or older. The report projects a 700% global increase in the number of urban poor people living in areas that experience extreme heat by the 2050s, especially in West Africa and Southeast Asia. Global economic losses related to heat stress could jump from $280 billion in 1995 to $2.4 trillion in 2030, with low-income countries seeing the biggest chunk of these costs. The report, of course, calls on an increase in climate adaptation efforts, including investing in early warning systems for heat waves. Heat officers are already becoming more common in urban spaces to prioritize this effort. While the U.S. is experiencing worsening heat waves, it's also getting more intense rain events due to warmer air holding more water. This is according to a new study published in the journal Geophysical Research Letters. For every degree Fahrenheit of warming, the air can hold 4% more water. In the eastern United States, the researchers observed a 45 to 5.7% increase in average daily rainfall on days when it rained. The central U.S. was similar. The study didn't see an increase in rainy days, just how much rain fell on rainy days. In fact, it might be similar to hurricanes. We're seeing less events, but these events are hitting harder. In the Western U.S., results have been mixed because we're just in a mega drought in general. Let's switch gears a bit to talk about environmental justice. 
a sector-wide survey initiated by Wildlife and Countryside Link, a coalition of UK environmental charities, found that the environmental sector has failed to be more inclusive. The survey revealed responses of 44 UK environmental organizations. 84% of the organizations said they have considered or were taking action to increase inclusion, but only 4% actually had a consistently implemented action plan to reach that goal. That's just one in about 20 environmental organizations that have enacted plans to increase ethnic diversity in their own organizations. Some barriers to entry include entry jobs being a volunteer job or low pay and a lack of upward mobility. Some actions organizations could take to encourage an inclusive and diverse environment include implementing unconscious bias training, conducting in-depth research into racism, and creating programs that invite more people of color to enter leadership roles. Wildlife and Countryside Link produce a strategy to encourage more inclusion that many organizations have signed on to, including Friends of the Earth and Greenpeace. While this survey specifically looked within the UK, I'd imagine that this is probably part of a larger issue. And continuing the theme of environmental justice, the European Central Bank found that banks with more women in leadership positions on average directed about 10% lower lending volumes to high-polluting firms. By more women in leadership, I'm talking about any percentage over 37%. In general, the higher the education level of bank leadership, the less they'll loan to heavy polluting firms, but then adding more women in leadership on top of that leads to less dirty loaning. Time for the climate victories. I know that was a lot of climate studies, huh? A group of 10 countries, including all G7 countries, handed the World Bank a joint proposal to institute fundamental reform to address global challenges better, including the climate and biodiversity crises. The German development minister, Schultz, said, quote, The World Bank's current model is no longer appropriate in this time of global crises. Challenges and investment needs are so great that the model needs to be adjusted. Reform efforts include climate lending on better terms and target budget reform for governments that want to pursue policy reforms that help them to decarbonize. The countries expect to hear back from the bank on the proposal by the end of the year. It sounds like they are still allowing for loans, but we'll have to wait and see what these changes could actually look like. Loans are concerning because developing countries are already drowning in debt. On Wednesday, we discussed how 80% of island nations are in debt. Well, another report, this one by the UN Development Program, or UNDP, expanded the lens to look at all developing countries and found that 54 countries are in desperate need of debt relief to avoid even more extreme poverty and have any chance of fighting climate change. Quote, a serious debt crisis is unfolding across developing economies and the likelihood of a worsening outlook is high. The UNDP called for a recalibration of the G20-led Common Framework, a plan designed to help countries push into financial trouble by COVID-19 to restructure their debt. Only three countries have ever used it. So the UNDP called for the framework to be expanded to take in countries with a lot of debt and for any debt payments to be automatically suspended in the process. Back to the climate victories now, Indonesia released a plan to subsidize the purchase of electric vehicles starting next year. The country wants to have 2.5 million EV users by 2025. I believe there's about 22.5 million vehicles on Indonesia's roads, over 28,000 of which are EVs right now. The main driver is reducing pollution. Indonesia has the 17th worst air pollution in the world, according to IQ Air Index. For context, only 4% of its energy supply comes from renewable energy. Indonesia is the largest 
coal exporter by weight in the world. The country has reached out to car makers like Hyundai and BYD to build an EV ecosystem in the nation's capital, Borneo, which has plans to run 100% on clean energy. Earlier this year, the government requested all state officials switch to electric vehicles and told the state utility company, PLN, to ramp up EV charging stations to reach the target of serving 2 million electric motorcycles and 500,000 EVs in less than four years. The government also plans to have its public transit be fully electrified in five years. Now they just got to work on cleaning up their energy grid. But even with a dirty energy grid, electric vehicles are shown to still be cleaner than their gas-powered counterparts over their whole lifetime. Greta says you fucked up Germany. On public TV Tuesday, Greta Thunberg said that she thought it was a mistake that Germany chose to focus on coal energy instead of keeping nuclear power plants open past the winter. Quote, if you have them already running, I feel like it's a mistake to close them and focus on coal. She recognized that nuclear is heavily debated among environmental groups due to how long it takes to build, nuclear waste and disposal, and meltdown risk. Yet it's energy dense and consistent. Germany's leadership isn't a fan of nuclear, and while it did allow for two of its nuclear plants' lives to be extended through the winter months, it seems to be more in favor of choosing coal for the long term and using coal as a way to replace the energy lost by decommissioning nuclear power plants in recent years. This record doesn't mesh well with Germany's pledge to phase out coal by 2030. Germany's financial minister, who's the only one in Schultz's government to emphatically support nuclear, praised Thunberg's comment. The leader of the conservative opposition party, the Christian Social Union, simply retweeted her interview and said, Interesting. Climate activist groups have been very busy in England. 32 Just Stop oil protesters glued themselves to the streets of West London, blocking three routes of traffic. For over 11 days now, police have made more than 300 Just Stop oil arrests as the group rallies against the new North Sea oil and gas lease sales trust put in motion. The Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change and the International Energy Agency have both stated that there is no room for any new large fossil fuel projects if we want to keep warming well below 2 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels. So leasing 100 sites to projects would definitely not be consistent with the Paris Agreements or the UK's decarbonization goals. Other conservation organization leaders are not necessarily discouraging protesting. The leaders of the National Trust, the Royal Society of the Protection of Birds, or RSPB, and Wildlife Trusts are weighing the idea of urging their millions of members to take the streets in protest. They called what trusts government is doing a U-turn in nature, environment, and climate policies. RSPB's members have sent over 100,000 emails to MPs over the last two weeks, trying to get them to change course. National Trust leader McGrady had this to say, quote, this is the biggest attack on nature certainly in my lifetime and let alone my career. This is unprecedented. That's why we're stepping forward with RSPB and wildlife trusts. We choose our battles very carefully and we don't do it very often. To add a little more fuel to the fire, last week, Truss included green campaigners to her list of enemies reeled off during a speech at a conservative party conference. She called them an anti-growth coalition. In the U.S., the Danish renewable energy company European Energy created a subsidiary called EE North America, through which it plans to develop 10 gigawatts of clean energy projects in the U.S. by 2026. 
That's enough energy to power 7.5 million homes. European Energy is active in 26 markets already and is recognized as a leader in wind, solar, and Power2X projects. Power2X projects are those that develop wind and solar farms to power the creation of green hydrogen, e-methanol, and jet fuel. They recently made the largest electrolyzer in the world, 500 megawatts, with the energy company Siemens to sell e-methanol to the shipping giant Marsk. The goal is to provide 300,000 tons of e-methanol by 2025. EE North America set up shop in Texas, so it'll be interesting to see which states see those 10 gigawatts of clean energy. Now let's look at the climate fails. Remember, don't get despondent, get mad. The CEOs of BlackRock, Citigroup, and Standard Charter will not attend COP27, the large UN climate conference taking place in Egypt next month. All three attended COP26 last year, but this year they're sending another staff member to represent the company. A lot has happened since COP26, mainly that US Republicans have decided to wage war on any financial institution that even considers committing dropping fossil fuel clients from their portfolios. The GOP campaign has been fairly successful as BlackRock has basically done a 180 from being all bright-eyed and ambitious at COP26. And this is honestly just a sampling of the growing list of industry leaders that are choosing to put the most important climate conference of the year on the back burner. Bloomberg NEF gives COP27 only a 43% chance of succeeding in anything big. Remember what I said earlier about the UK climate protests? you know, so long ago. Well, I have a feeling that they're about to get worse because Trust and her energy PM banned solar farms from most of England's farmlands. They argue it takes land away from boosting food production, even though solar would take up less land than golf courses, even in its peak. Land is graded from one to five, from fertile to least. Farmland currently takes up land graded one to three A, and solar is mostly built on three B because land in grades four and five are usually upland areas unsuitable for solar. But the government is considering designated three B land also as farmland, which would essentially kill all current solar projects underway. This move has been estimated to potentially kill 20 billion pounds in solar investments and green groups, the energy industry, and the Labour Party all don't support this move. Do you know who's actually intimidated by the Inflation Reduction Act? Canada. The Chamber of Commerce reported earlier this month that Canada risks falling behind the U.S. in its net zero plans. The report says Canada needs to invest more money in its decarbonization efforts, plan for a just transition, and be more transparent about the challenges it faces. I like that there's a little bit of competitive spirit there, and I hope that Canada and the U.S. can peer pressure each other into decarbonizing faster. Wouldn't that be cool? Let's finish off today's episode talking about an important piece of legislation that could end up very different depending on which way the U.S. midterm elections go. That's fun. The Farm Bill, a spending bill that comes about every five years or so to address the agriculture industry, food systems, nutrition programs, etc., is on the table. Put plainly, Democrats have added climate-related provisions to the bill to reduce agriculture emissions and adapt to a more extreme climate. Republicans have already expressed interest in removing all of those climate provisions if they win back the House next month. Over a dozen members of the House Agriculture Committee are up for re-election this year like Abigail Spanberger in Virginia. I talked about her and her opponent's climate and energy positions in my Twitch stream on Friday. If you haven't checked out the recording, it's on my second channel, Becosphere Streams. Agriculture accounts for 11% of U.S. emissions. And that was your climate recap for Sunday, October 16th. 
If you like the work I do, please follow this podcast, give it a five-star rating, leave a review, and consider checking out the Beckosphere Climate Corner YouTube channel. Remember to talk about the climate crisis every single day and to support your local news organizations. Bye for now.